All right, uh, welcome back. So as I said before, you know, if your head is spinning, don't worry. Um, this is something that you'll basically have to start doing, right? Which is exactly the reason why we have the labs. So once you start doing the labs, hopefully it will make more sense. And you know, it, it's gonna take a little while, but it's, it's also not rocket science. I mean, trust me, you'll get it. Uh, Richard just pointed out, if you, if within a thread, if you declare a local variable, it's actually stored in global memory. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> so anyway, thread synchronization. Um, you know, threads need to cooperate somehow, right? And sometimes we also need to synchronize them so that we know that all of their execution is at the same point in the program. And so um, basically, yeah, that, that's all that this slide says. Uh, there's two kinds to synchronization. On one hand, you can synchronize uh, your things on the host, and the host, of course, has not much influence on what happens on the GPU. But there are certain things, for example, memory copies, you want to make sure that they're synchronous. And on the other hand, you want to synchronize your uh, threads on the GPU. So um, the first bit, synchronization on the host. So if you launch a kernel, that means uh, you know, if you basically start your CUDA program, uh, it starts immediately and the, um, the control returns to the CPU also immediately. So it's like launching into space. You have no more control. Things happen now asynchronously. So, um, right. Uh, basically, if you, you can launch many different kernels, but they basically, of course, um, observe the order. So a new kernel cannot start before the previous kernel has finished execution. That's what this second bullet says here. Now, the memcopy functions, the CUDA memcopy functions are synchronous. That means the copy is basically happening and then control returns after all of the data has been copied. So that avoids any kind of data hazards. And finally, you also have a, a CUDA uh, thread synchronize. Um, so that basically waits until all previous CUDA calls have been completed. But again, this is just on the CPU, right? So this has no influence on what's happening on the GPU. So here is an example. Um, you know, again, you're copying some data from the host to the device with the first line. And that's a synchronous copy, so the execution stops there until the copy has finished. Then you're executing the kernel. As soon as you execute that function there, the execution passes to the GPU and, and you immediately continue. Then you're running your CPU code. And finally, you're copying that data back from the device uh, back to the host. And again, that's a, a synchronous copy. Sorry. Right, so essentially, yes. What's the actual, I'm, I'm just now wondering, what's the actual? The actual call is Right, okay. So in other words, what it does is it adds a CUDA thread synchronized call into the mem copy, right? So within mem copy, it calls CUDA thread synchronized, which means all of the threads have finished execution 
and now it's safe to do the mem copy. All right, now on the GPU, you also have a function available, and that's called sync threads. And it synchronizes all of the threads within a block. So that means, you know, if you call that function in your, in your kernel, that means all of the threads have reached this point, and then, um, yeah, then you can uh, resume execution. And that's sometimes important if you do certain memory operations. Now, more recently, NVIDIA also added sort of a global, a global um, thread synchronization on the GPU, which is called thread fence. So that actually goes across blocks. So in other words, goes across multiprocessors. And it makes sure that all of the global memory writes are, are flushed to make them visible to all threads. Right? So basically, all of the threads on your GPU write everything to global memory so that once you call that function, you're ensured that your global memory has a consistent state. Now, of course, that's an extremely expensive function, so use it sparingly. Uh, it would be great if there were some you know, global hardware synchronization between threads, but that's not really available yet. But that might change as, as time goes on. Do you want to add anything to? Yeah, neither did Wonky. So if, if the, the two you know, crack CUDA programmers I know never used this, probably means you, you won't have to use it either. But it is there. All right, so let's talk a little bit about optimization. Now, I know this might sound crazy. You haven't even started programming yet. But I just want to point out a few things that are just common sense. And um, trust me, you know, you'll, you'll basically have to use a lot of common sense to get the optimum performance out of the GPU. So, you know, first thing is identify your bottlenecks. So very often, you're actually bandwidth bound, which means your bottleneck is really the memory bandwidth. I think that's the most common case, right? So um, as long as you're launching thousands of threads, you know, you're probably fine in terms of the compute. The, the raw compute power on the GPU is, is immense. So uh, always worry about your memory. And so um, again, also focus on the most expensive but parallelizable parts. So you know, remember Amdahl's law. Try to parallelize everything as much as you can, and especially the expensive parts. And then um, maximize the parallel execution. So use large data, which means many threads. And try to avoid if statements or loops or things like that within your threads. Now, of course, you can't completely avoid that, but try to avoid them as much as possible. And um, you know, min minimize shared memory um, and register use so that you're not running out of that. It's all a limited resource, right? So you can't store huge amounts of data in your local multiprocessor memory. Because once you have uh, allocated too much there, um, execution will grind to a halt. Now, memory is probably the most important optimization you, you can make. So you really want to make sure that you, you are aware of where things are stored and how they're being accessed. So you want to minimize this overhead from host to device. Um, in other words, avoid this by copying as much of your data as you possibly can fit onto the graphics card early on. So that is basically in global memory. Um, Richard will talk about 
memory banks and memory bank conflicts next week? Next week, on Monday. And he'll also talk about coalescing memory access. So these are two important optimizations that you'll do in order to speed up your program. And finally, don't forget you have texture and constant memory because uh, that's, that can be very helpful even though it's just read-only. But it's cached. So it is on the chip, which makes it a lot faster than global memory. Um, all right, so, you know, global memory is bad <laughs> in some ways. So if you just, as, as you know, Richard said, if you just initialize a variable, um, it might actually be stored uh, in a global memory. So here is, you should, you know, I think it's good programming practice to always put these identifiers in front of your variables in your kernels so that you know exactly where they are stored. So this is a shared memory variable, shared memory, and this is a global memory. And then if you just use this indexing here, this is slow because every access has to go off the chip onto the global memory, whereas this one here is much, much faster because it's right on the chip. And finally, um, there are certain instructions that you'll see that have been optimized for the GPU that are essentially popping up a lot in applications such as graphics. They may not have exactly the same precision as some of the higher precision implementations, but they're a whole lot faster. Um, and I'm actually I'm talking about these functions here, uh, sign, you know, underscore sign, exp, and po. Also, you know, division is expensive, so never divide, always multiply. Um, there are some atomic operations that you can use, but they're expensive. They basically are for memory access, and they make sure that there's no race conditions on memory. So it's, it's like a transaction, basically, a memory transaction, but use those sparingly. And then another thing is, even though you have double precision, it's a lot slower by up to a factor of three or more than single precision. So only use double precision if you really have to. And the last bullet here is just save all un unnecessary instructions. So try to unroll your loops as much as you can so that you avoid, for example, the branching. Yeah? So if uh, division is so much more expensive, why doesn't the compiler automatically convert all such divisions into all such multiplication? Yeah, it, it certainly will do some of that, right? I mean, I'm not exactly sure what their optimizing compiler all does, but I would imagine that. What is it doing stuff, right? Simple things, yes, but it, it can get subtle when you're looking at um, optimization. Can you do that sort of thing? Um, what rules or language allow you to do? Um, one big thing I would say is that there's a specific square root function, and if you call square root, what it actually does is calculate reciprocal square root and then take the reciprocal of that. So if you know you're going to be dividing by the square root, just multiply it by reciprocal square root. Right. Uh, beyond that... I mean, the other issue is, of course, if you have a variable, right? If you divide by a variable, um, there's not much you can do. <laughs> Right. Calculate the reciprocal outside the loop and then multiply through. But you're getting into nastiness and floating point numbers.
Okay, so that's it for today, actually, and we're 10 minutes early. Um, let me just tell you, you know, if this seemed like a little bit of a fire hose of information, um, don't worry about it too much. Uh, first of all, I would like you to read the CUDA manual, which is actually really well written, in my opinion, and, and you know, quite easy to read. So hopefully, after this presentation, you'll read that, and it will make a whole lot more sense. So please, by uh, next Monday, uh, read the CUDA manual, and I'll put a link on the blog so that you can find it, but it's essentially on the NVIDIA website. Also, I'll be traveling next week, so Richard has uh, gratefully agreed to um, take over. So he's going to give next Monday's lecture, which will be in here as usual. And then next week also we'll have two labs on Wednesday and on Friday. And by default, it's going to be the same, um, the same uh, lab schedule as this week. So if you want to change something for next week, you'll have to arrange it with some other student. And again, I'll send out an email or I actually send it out on the blog so that you can uh, see how to access these things. All right? Any questions? Okay, so have fun in the lab on Wednesday, and I'm curious uh, how you guys are doing. And, and you know, again, this is also a learning experience for us, but the lab, I think, is really the place where you can interact with the TF, where you can ask questions. So please make it work for you. Don't just passively sit there